moving on to the first part, which is who's hot in Corinth. Uh, last week I mentioned to you guys that Corinth was a hotbed, a, the vanity fair of all of the Roman Empire. It had all kinds of iniquity, all kinds of sexuality, immorality, the, the, the best plays, the best ballets, the best everything that you could see would be found in Corinth. And there was a church that Paul planted there, and he had a lot of problems with this church. He wrote four letters to that church, by the way. We only have two of them. Now, the other two, we don't know what they say. But if they said anything like this one, I wish we had them, because <laughs> it's good, gushy stuff. It's National Enquirer wants to know type stuff. And so today, just to remind you what we covered last week, Paul opens up this letter to these, these um, difficult children that he has. And, and I gave you some of the highlights, some of the, some of the epic fails of the Corinthians. Um, they're getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. They are um, suing one another in pagan courts. Um, Paul says, I rebuke you because you're allowing one of your brothers to sleep with his father's wife, his stepmother, and you're, and you're allowing it. You're just letting it go on. They are fascinated, overly fascinated with spiritual gifts like speaking in tongues. And there's all kinds of crazy things happening in Corinth, but Paul opens the letter, the first 10 verses we covered last week, with nothing but grace and nothing but the gospel. It's very important that you remember that he starts everything with the gospel. It's all about the gospel. Yes, you're a mess. We all are. But God loves you, and God died for you, and God forgave you, and you are nothing except for who God has made you. And so praise be to God. And he says you've been given every spiritual gift. You've been given an inheritance. You've been given all kinds of things. So he doesn't just come right in and say, y'all going to get a whooping. He comes in and says, God loves you. I love you. I thank God for you. I, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. And I mentioned to you last week that today we're going to hear him say, but. Verse 10, I believe it is, is where he's going to start with the but. I'm going to read our, our, our passage tonight. We're going to go from verse 10 to verse 25. I'm just going to read it out loud for you. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. But as we study it together, I will go through um, each verse on the screen. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. <gasps> my brothers. What I mean is this, that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. Well, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember or don't know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discerning of the discerning, the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. So where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, 
Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your own calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in this world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. So that no human, no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, comma, righteousness, comma, and sanctification, comma, and redemption. So that it is, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Amen. So what we're going to look at today is this ugly scar of the church, and it still is an ugly scar of the church. It is divisions. Schisms is the Greek word. The Greek word is schismata. Divisions amongst people. So, we're, so in, our, in, our, in our little magazine here, we're going to ask the question, who's hot in Corinth, Paul, Apollos, or Peter? You get to pick. Who do you like the best? This was happening in the church of Corinth. Let's look at it real quick. First, he says, I appeal to you, which is, a, a, I guess, a nice way of saying, I command you, I exhort you, I'm, 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 I'm pulling rank on you right now. Okay, I, I am the one who planted this church. I am the apostle that God sent, covered that last week, and now I'm appealing to you. What does he say? This is important, that all of you agree. All of you agree. And he actually goes further than that. The word agree is literally the word in Greek. It's, it means the same, to speak the same. It's homo legeos, which means to speak the same thing. It's where we get the word confession, like the Westminster Confession or the Apostles' Creed. You know, those, are, those were written to say, we're going to say the same thing. This is what we believe. This is who we are. We're saying the same thing. We are of the same mind. Paul goes on to say, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and of the same judgment. This is a big problem in Corinth, as we're going to see, but you and I know that it's a big problem today, right? I did some research, and I found that in 2001, a study was reported that there are over 32,000, that's 32 and three zeros, not 3,200, 32,000 different Christian denominations in the world. And that's 2001, and I don't need to find another statistic for 2015, because it would probably just be worse, wouldn't you think? 32,000 different denominations. So I'm asking you, when Paul says, I appeal to you by the name of Jesus Christ to agree, to be of one mind, to be of one judgment, do you think that this is what Paul and this is what Jesus had in mind for the church? 32,000 different denominations? Raise your hand if you think that's what Jesus wants. And myself, I often kind of joke about myself and say I'm a denominational mutt. You know, I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. I've been Methodist. I've been Baptist. I've been Presbyterian. I've been Pentecostal for about a week. And I've been a bunch of other things. I've been a fundamentalist. And, and in being in all those churches, I can see why they don't agree. There's a lot of things that they could not agree on. And to be honest with you, it's what has really turned me on to the Evangelical Free Church of America. Um, and it's what keeps me there. And it's what I'm most excited about is that their ethos statement, their, 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 their main distinctive, they kind of borrowed from St. Augustine, which says, in essentials, unity, and in non-essentials, charity or freedom, and in all things Christ. I love that. I love that. In essentials, unity. And if you look at the EFCA's doctrinal statement, or if you look at our doctrinal statement, which is, I just copied and pasted the EFCA's there, there's only 10. There's only 10 essentials. You got to believe in God. You got to believe in the Bible. You got to believe in that man, or, that man is sinful and needs God, that Jesus was born of a virgin and came to earth and died on the cross for our sins. You got to believe in the second coming. It's very simple stuff. 
Can we agree on the essentials? Yes. But in non-essentials, charity, freedom. But in all things Christ, it's all about Jesus anyway. And that's what Paul is saying here. Look what he go, how he goes on to say. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people. Chloe was someone who had a house church, a missional community, if you will, in her home. And she reported back to Paul saying that there is quarreling among the brothers. And what I mean is this, that each one of you says, well, I follow Paul, while someone else says, well, I follow Apollos. And still others say, well, I follow Peter. For some reason, Paul always refers to Peter as Cephas. And yet there are still others who refer, who say, well, I follow Jesus. I have a WWJD bracelet, and I'm better than all y'all. So, so who, do you, who do you follow? Do you follow Paul, Apollos, Peter, or Jesus? And you may think this is an obscure question, but it's not. But think about this for a second. Paul was the one who planted the church. So some of those people could say, look, we follow Paul. I mean, Paul planted this church. You know, Paul's our man. And other people say, but you know what, Apollos? Apollos was an Alexandrian Jew who was trained in Alexandria, which means he was, he was gifted and eloquent. And he probably preached like Charles Spurgeon or John Wesley or Billy Graham, you know, or Mike Satterfield. He probably preached it really well. <laughs> I'm just joking. He was a good preacher. He was, he was eloquent. So some people say, we like that good preacher. He's slick and you know, smooth, silver-tongued. Other people say, we like Peter. Because, you know, in the book of Matthew and Luke, Jesus said on this, I will build my church. So Peter, you know, he's the Pope. We, you know, the Catholics, that was all, that was the big argument back then. It's all Peter, 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 Peter. And then yet there are others who say we're for Christ. And what they're really saying is we're the secret society who really gets Jesus. You don't. Does that still happen in the church today? And unfortunately, it happens even uglier than this. Because I can almost understand this. Paul planted the church. And, and, and Paul has written some stuff, and we like Paul better. Apollos, is, he's entertaining, and we like him. Peter, he was a real disciple who got into a lot of trouble with Jesus, and Jesus said, on, the, on you, I will build my church. And, and of course, you can see why someone would say, we follow Christ. It's, it's not so obscure, but today, it's even more obscure, right? I follow MacArthur. I follow Piper. I follow. It's ugly. Paul goes on to say this. Is Christ divided? I love this question. Is Christ divided? Does Christ divide himself amongst Paul or Apollos or Peter? No. Paul and Apollos and Peter are in Christ. And so Christ is not divided. Christ actually unifies. Christ unifies all. Anyone who is in the name of Christ is a brother and sister in Christ. That's the whole point of Christianity is that we're all become one in Christ, one body of one bread, of one, you know, baptism. We're one. And so he's saying Christ is not divided. And then Paul kind of goes on a little rant here. Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? No. And then he goes on to say, I thank God I didn't baptize any of you, except for these two people, which are probably the first two converts he had in Corinth, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. He said, I'm, I'm so glad there's not some weird cult out there saying, well, we were baptized by Paul. <laughs> so look at us. I'm so glad. And then he kind of, you know, they don't have erasers back then. They just keep typing. And um, so he keeps typing, and he says, okay, I can't delete it. I'm just going to keep, you know what, now that I think about it, I do remember baptizing Stephanus. Um, the whole household of stuff. Like, but beyond that, I, I don't know. A couple things I want to say. Paul's not downplaying baptism. He is pro-baptism, for sure. We are pro-baptism. The church is pro-baptism. Jesus says, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we are pro-baptism. But Paul is kind of downplaying, and, and thankfully he's saying, I, I'm glad I didn't baptize you. Because if I did, you would have used that as another schism. And I'm so glad that I didn't. Not about me, okay?
okay? It's about Jesus. That's what he's going to say next. So that's our first, first little section there. It's the this, this, this scar of divisions in the church. And then the next verse of the Bible is probably my favorite verse in the whole book of 1 Corinthians and the whole Bible, probably. Paul's going to give us his purpose statement. Do you, do you know how, like, in our modern you know, leadership guru world, we talk about having a personal purpose statement? Do you, you guys ever heard of that? Writing your own mission statement. What's your vision for your life, for your family? What kind of father you want to be? What kind of mother you want to be? What kind of, why is God, what's your purpose? Do you have a purpose statement? Raise your hand if you have a purpose statement. Paul's going to tell us his purpose statement. You want to see it? It's awesome. Here it is. For Christ did not send me to baptize. So that's not my purpose. My purpose is not to create followers. My purpose is not to build an army. My purpose is not to baptize a bunch of people. Here's my purpose. But to preach the gospel. I love that. I have one purpose and one purpose only, to preach the gospel. You've heard me say it before. I'll say it again. I believe that's my purpose. just want to preach the gospel. I got one message, 10,000 different ways to say it. That's it. I don't want to say anything else but the gospel. Nothing, nothing else matters. And then he goes on to say this, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, which literally translated is not with wisdom words, not with Sophia words, not with words that sound wise. Look, I sound so cool. Look at me. Not with eloquence. Look, I'm so pretty. You know what I mean? I, I'm going to paint this beautiful picture. And this is very, very important because it's hard not to do that in our day and age. It's hard not to have a compelling argument or to have an artistic presentation, right? It's hard for me to not to do that. Paul says, that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to preach the gospel and not with eloquent words, but because why? Listen, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. If I try to present it in an argumentative way, I run the risk of overcomplicating the simplicity of the gospel. When I was in you know, Dallas, I worked at a fancy restaurant and I was in seminary, so all the other people who were there knew I was in seminary. So they would always blame me for all the other people who left bad tips on Sunday morning. <laughs> and they'd, they'd leave me, the, you know, they'd show me the tip that they got, which was like $2 on a $50 bill or whatever. And they'd say, Here's, look what your people did to me. I'm like, these are not my people, okay? I don't like these people either. But I had two friends who were not Christians. One was a hippie. He literally smoked pot on the job. And, uh, but he liked me. And so we would hang out a lot. And I was slowly sharing, you know. He's like, Mike, you're cool. You're the only Christian I know is cool. I'm like, yeah, I'm the only Christian I know is cool too. And then... <laughs> After I got married, we kept in touch through Facebook, and he actually came back to Dallas for a business training session, and he called me and said, let's get lunch. And I'm like, he called me like a week in advance. I said, awesome, he, he does like me. You know what I mean? He doesn't, so I have an opportunity, and maybe my last opportunity to share the gospel with him, so I, I did. And can I just be honest with you? I started with Genesis, and before I got to Second Kings, he stopped me. And he said, this is just too myopic. And I'm like, what's myopic? I didn't even know what that word meant. And then he had to explain that to me, and I'm like, oh, and then I drove home just feeling like a complete idiot. I overcomplicated the simplicity of the gospel. Why did I start with Genesis, and why did I work my way even to Kings? You know what I mean? I should have just started in John 3, 16. That would have been enough. But I was, I was myopic. So Paul says, I, don't, I, don't, I exist not to baptize, not even really to plant churches, not to do anything but to preach the gospel and not with eloquent words of wisdom so that the cross would not be emptied or robbed of its power because there's power in the message of the gospel. It's simple and it's powerful and I don't want to get in the way of that. I just want to preach the gospel. That's awesome, isn't it? I hope that will become part of your purpose statement. I want to preach the gospel. I want my life to exude the gospel. I want to describe and explain the gospel in everyday rhythms of life. Here's how the gospel works in your marriage. Here's how the gospel works in your finances. Here's how the gospel works in pain and suffering. 
and I want to be able to reflect that to people around me. One of my favorite pastors in Dallas said this, um, Jesus appeals not to the brilliant, he appeals to the guilty. A lot of times, and I'm guilty of this as well, we try to like convince people. You know, we try to, we're doing God a favor. And I've got the, I've got the, I've got the answer to your question. Here it is. And, and we have to be careful of that because God doesn't need to convince people with words and, and wisdom because he's not after people who figure it out. He's not. It's not about figuring it out. It's about recognizing that you're guilty, and that's it. He doesn't care if you know it all. He only knows if you know that you're guilty, <laughs> and then you receive the gospel. Or here's another way of putting it. Well, here's what Paul's saying. It's not about me. It's not about Paulos. It's not about Peter. It's not about planting churches. It's not about baptizing people. It's not about growing. It's, not about, it's only about one thing, proclaiming the glorious message that God gave us, that his son died on the cross for the sins of the world. Just preach that. That's all you got to preach. He'll do the rest. I don't have to do anything. All you got to do is get the message out there. And, 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 and that's it. No, no clever words. Jim Elliott, he's a famous missionary to the Alka Indians. He said this. He said, we are nobodies telling everybody about somebody who can save anybody. That's a good one right there. We're nobodies. It's not about me. We're blind people leading other blind people to some crumbs or to a feast, more, more likely, right? So that's Paul's purpose statement, and it's ours here at Missio Day as well. Well, verse 18 <laughs> He says, for the word of God or the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written in the, in the book of Isaiah, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Um, the word, the message of the cross, or another way of saying it is, this is be even more simpler, the gospel is foolishness. I, I want to do an experiment. Say that with me, if you will. The gospel is foolishness. Say it out loud. Gospel is foolishness. Isn't that almost hard to say? You don't even really want to say it. But here's the key. If you can't say that, then you don't get it. Because the gospel is foolishness. It is. Let me explain to you why. How foolish is it for anyone to believe in a God who showed up himself as a baby and then as he grew up, decided to die at the hands of the very people who he was trying to save. And then he rose from the dead and disappeared. If you are honest, that's foolishness. And if I back the truck up a little further, it all starts with a talking snake and a big flood where everyone died. It is foolishness. I don't care if you believe that or not. Well, I do care. You need to believe that. It is foolishness. And if you can't say that, if you can't grip it into your heart, then you're missing the point of it because that's the point of the gospel. The gospel's not for the intelligent. It's not, but it's not for intellectual people. God's, like again, God's not after the intellectual. He's after the guilty. So it's foolishness. And then, and then Paul kind of mocks, he quotes this passage in Isaiah. Um, he, he mocks the, the wise. He says, where is the, the one who is wise? Where, where, is this, where is the wise guy anyway? Where is, the, where is the debater of the age? Come on, someone show me some, you know, bucking up. Come on, bring it. Where is the wise one? Come up against my gospel message. I want you to. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? In Romans chapter 8, for instance, Paul goes, says the same thing. He says that God not only showed the futility of the world's wisdom, but he left us frustrated by the work of the cross, not the law. 
So for instance, the law for the Jew was all, you know, they were all smart, they were all wise, they had the law, and then Paul says, God even frustrated their so-called wisdom by saying it's not about law, it's about gospel, it's about grace. You don't get saved because you do, you get saved because he did. Boom, it's foolishness, it's a, especially for a Jew, right? What? I don't have to, I can eat, I can eat bacon now? You know, what, what? what? For since in the, I love this, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. Let me unpack that. In God's wisdom, in God's master plan, the world, in all of its groping after wisdom, did not find God in that wisdom. And it's still true today. Can I just tell you this? Anyone who's not a Christian or not a Buddhist or not, you know, a religion, but trying to find God, like maybe an agnostic, I know a lot of agnostics. Are they? How are they doing? The truth of the matter is, is you're not, they're not doing well. <laughs> and I know a lot of you in the room are, are, you would probably call yourself Christian first, but then agnostic second. You're a Christian agnostic. Meaning you believe in God, you believe in the gospel, but you can't really quite make everything work out correctly in your brain. Raise your hand if you could consider yourself that. I know some of you are. Yeah, so there's a lot of questions I have. There's a lot of things I don't know. Because you can't figure out the mind of, of God. You just can't. God's mind is this big and your mind is this big, right? You're just not going to be able to squeeze it in. You just can't. Try to think of eternity just for a second. <laughs> Have you ever done that? It's like you start thinking, you start thinking of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then also you hit the edge of your brain, the skull, and it bounces back to Monday again. You just can't seem to get out of the week, you know? You can't, you will never understand the mind of God. So in the, in the wisdom of God, in God's master plan, he made foolish, where was I? For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of some message that was preached to save those who will believe. This is awesome. God is saying, or Paul is saying, that in God's wisdom, God's master plan, he was excited about the fact that he was not going to save people who figured things out. He was going to save people who were faithful enough to believe a foolish message. It pleased him to save people who just believed. And you know what? My son is smarter than I am, and he's seven years old. And he asked me questions in the car on the way to school about God that I can't answer. And I'm like, no, not yet. You're not supposed to ask me these questions until you're 16, you know? I was a youth pastor for 18 years. I know how to answer teenagers' questions. I do not know how to answer a seven-year-old question. So God was pleased not to win us over by wisdom, but to win us over by a foolish message of a God who came to the earth, who died for the sins of the world, and resurrected and disappeared. It is foolish. We are fools. We are nobodies. Telling everybody about somebody. Amen? Here's an Old Testament example. You might remember the story of this wealthy, rich, powerful, intellectual Greek or Roman or, or whatever, Philistine, I can't remember, Naam. You remember him? Two A's. N-A-A-M-N. Naaman. He was an official in this army, and he got leprosy. And so he went to the king of Israel and said, heal me of my leprosy, someone told me you could. And the king said, do I look like God? And Elisha, the, father, you know, the predecessor of Elijah, said, no, 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 send him to me. I can take care of him. And when he gets to Elijah's door, him and his army, he knocks on the door, and Elisha sends a servant out to tell him to go into the Jordan water and dip into it seven times. And Naaman said, What? Does he know who I am? I'm a commander of the blah, blah army. You know, I'm five-star general. He doesn't have the, he has the audacity not even to come out himself. I expected him to come out, wave his hands, heal me of this leprosy, and give him some money, and then be on my way. But he sends his servant. 
And he tells me to go dip in the Jordan. Are there not better rivers to dip in, by the way? You know, how about the Euphrates? How about the Mississippi? You know what I mean? There are, there, are, there are better rivers to dip in. The Jordan? And he walks away. He says, forget this. It's foolishness. It's foolish. Think about that story real quick. That's foolishness, isn't it? If you're a commander of an army and he says, go and dip in the Jordan seven times and you will be healed of your leprosy, you're like, forget this nut job. I'm out of here. And his, his, his commanding servants, his officers around him said, whoa, 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 Lord, look, we, we walked all the way over here. This is Elijah. He's got a reputation. Don't you think you should at least give it a shot? And he's thinking to himself, I don't want to get into the Jordan River seven times. How foolish is that? Oh, I'm in. Oh, I'm in. Oh, I'm in. You know what I mean? Nothing's happened. Think about it. After the fifth time that you go down in that Jordan and come up and still see the lepers all over your body, how are you starting to feel? Foolish. Am I right? So foolish, especially if there's people watching. You know, <laughs> look at him. Look at this guy. Yeah. Oh, no. Was that seven or six? I think it was six. Oh, no. We got to get this right. <laughs> yeah. And on the seventh one, he comes up, and the Bible literally says his skin was like a baby's skin. Perfect skin. No blemish. God was always pleased to save us in believing in foolishness. Isn't that good? He goes on. Paul goes on, verse 22. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek after wisdom. So this is true. Jews always are looking for signs. Because they got them in the Old Testament, a lot of them. And you remember the Jews came to Jesus and said, give us a sign. And Jesus says, I got your sign. It's Jonah. Figure it out. They're always looking for signs. And Greeks are always seeking after wisdom. You knew that, right? By the way, our whole educational system is based on Greek wisdom. Based on Epicurean, you know, uh, philosophy. We learn, we learn, and we learn, and we learn. And we follow certain traditions of learning, and we continue to learn. And we love to learn. And the internet is very helpful for that, right? I mean, it's just the, 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 the information age. We have all kinds of information to learn. And so the Greeks were always excited about learning and talking and debating. And I'm of Socrates, and I'm of um, Pelagius, and I'm of Plato. You know, the early church had a, a motto they would say. They would say, what has Athens to do with Christ? And what they meant by that was, Christianity is not, a, is not intellectual, epicurean, philosophical theology. It's not. It's not about figuring it out. It's not about having this system, this Epicurean system of A, B equals C plus D. No, it is just foolish message. And if you believe it, you're saved. But we preach Christ crucified. This is awesome. We preach Christ crucified. That's, that's the foolish message. It is the Son of God. It is God dead, the dying God. And it is a stumbling block to the Jews because the Jews expected, right, a king to rule over them. And it is foolishness to wise guys who think, why would God die? We preach the gospel. The gospel is a dying God. The gospel is Jesus died, period. And he rose. So, comma, and he rose. That's the message. It's a crucified Christ. Charles Spurgeon, that was his motto in life. Preach Christ crucified or go home. That's what he would literally say. He would say, preach Christ or go home. Here's a, here's a quote from him. The motto of all true servants of God must be, we preach Christ and him crucified. Quote, a sermon without Christ in it is like a loaf of bread without any flour in it. No Christ in your sermon, sir? Then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. Oh, that's why I love Spurgeon. Can I, if you ever go to another church 
count how many times you hear the name Christ. I'm, I'm not trying to bash other churches, but it's important that you understand this. Be like Charles Spurgeon. If you're not preaching Christ, then go home, because I'm here for Jesus. We're here for Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And if you don't hear Jesus in your message, and he's just a footnote tacked on the end of the sermon, or into prayer, then something's wrong. And because this is what happens. We get caught into the philosophy and the, and the intellectualism of, here's how you can have your best life. Now, here's six ways to have your best marriage. Here's six ways to be a good parent. Here's seven ways to get out of debt. And those are great messages, I'm sure. But where's Christ? <laughs> but if you had, here's six ways to get out of debt, point one, debt is stupid. You shouldn't be in debt because Christ saved you from debt. You, you, you should be giving generously because Jesus gave generously to you, and you can't give generously if you're in debt, so don't be in debt. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus is all over that. Do you see it? important. Um, verse 22, moving on before the day is over. Um, for the Jews demand signs and the Greek seeks wisdom. Oh, I, I'm coming back to the same verse again because I wanted to highlight this. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. That word stumbling block, who knows what that word is in Greek? Scandalon, Scandalon which means scandalous, right? It's scandalous. That's a word we like. That's a magazine word, <laughs> right? It's scandalous. Think about it. It is scandalous. It's not about what you know. It's not about how smart you are. It's not about what you do, even. It's only about what he did and whether or not he knows you. That's it. This is, we still have this today. This is one of the oldest pieces of graffiti we have in the Roman Empire. I don't know if you can notice it or not, but it's a picture of a jackass being crucified. And I used that word jackass on purpose because that's the word they used in, in, in this Greek inscription here. And this man here, is worshiping the donkey. And, and, and who this is, is this, this man's name is Alex, is Alex. <laughs> Alex was apparently Alex Amenios, Aminos, Alex Aminos was apparently a Roman official who um, was up in rank and he became a Christian. Somehow he heard the gospel, the foolish message, the Holy Spirit opened his eyes, he became saved, experienced the power of God in his life, and began worshiping Jesus, and his friends made fun of him. And they, made, and they made fun of Christianity. And so this inscription right here literally reads, Alex Aminos worships his God, the dead donkey, the crucified ass. That's how foolish they thought Christianity was. And I'm telling you, that's how foolish it is. It is that foolish. It's scandalous that we should even believe it. I'm going to skip couple of verses because I want to come back to them at the end because they're, they're more appropriately better at the end. So I'm going to go to verse 26 to 29 and just kind of highlight all this. You remember it from the earlier reading. Paul says, consider your calling. Not many of you were wise. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish, that's you, in this world to shame the wise. That's someone who thinks they're smart. And God chose what is weak, that's you, in this world, to shame the strong, or someone who thinks they're strong. God chose what is low and despised, that's you, in this world, even things that are not, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Th this foolishness is so wise, you know, godly wise, because it, it, it brings to nothing. Literally in the Greek, it means to bring to zero. God brings to zero all of those so-called philosophies, schools, wisdoms, Strength, power, none of it works. The only thing that, hey, guess what? Rome was an awesome empire, right? They say it wasn't built in a day. But it's gone. 
and Christianity still exists in Missouri 2,000 years later. So Paul says, God was pleased to thwart everything. The so-called wise, the so-called strong, he brought to nothing by foolishness, by foolish people, by you, by me. So I want to close tonight by bringing us back to Christ. The gospel is foolish, but it is also, and this is where I want to end tonight, back on verse 24, it is the wisdom of God and it is the power of God. To those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and Christ is the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. No matter how... That's an interesting little phrase there, right? The, the, the foolishness of God. God. God's stupidity, if there is such a thing, is smarter than your best, your best smartness. And the weakness of God is stronger than, you know, a man who can bench press 480, you know? But here's what I want to camp on. This is very important. He says, Christ is the power of God. And, and, and the way that sentence structure is phrased, it's personifying God's power. God's power is personified as a person, and it is Christ. God's wisdom is personified as a person, and it is Christ. You want power? It's not in creatine. It's in a person, and his name is Christ. You want wisdom? It's not in philosophy. It's not in books. It's not on the intranet. It is a person. If you're looking for wisdom, you're looking for a person, and his name is Christ. Let me give you a couple verses. Colossians 1 says this. Jesus is the image that is the exact representation of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation, for by Jesus... All things were created, both in heaven and on earth, both visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers and authorities, all things were created through Christ and for Christ. And he is before all things, and in Christ all things are held together. Your body, all the little genes and DNA and cells, I think of it this way, Jesus with his mind... <laughs> It's so powerful, he's holding you together. And if it weren't for him, you would just, just disappear. He's holding the sun and the moon and the planets in their perfect spot, and if he didn't and they moved a centimeter, we would fry or freeze. Jesus is that person. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the sustainer. All things were made by him, and all things were made for him. He is powerful. We worship a powerful, dead, risen man, God. So he is the power of God. Amen? Someone say amen to that. That's awesome. Gives me kind of goosebumps. And he's the wisdom of God. And I think if I were writing the Bible, I would have made a capital W, and I don't know if it's legal or not, but I want us to do that now. It's a capital W. He's the wisdom of God. Why? It's a personification of wisdom, which isn't so obscure. You might know this already. In the Old Testament, wisdom is personified. Do you remember that? You read the Proverbs. Um, it talks all kinds of things about wisdom as she calls out in the street. She was here. She was there. Let me give you a couple of verses in Proverbs verse eight, chapter 8. Wisdom says, I was beside God like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of men. All of chapter 8 is more of the same of that. Wisdom says, I was with God in the beginning, and I was helping him as he created things. Sounds like Colossians 1, doesn't it? A little bit. Um, this is verse 31 through 30 and 31. If you skip ahead to verse 35, just it's more of the same, but you can read it. For whoever finds me, wisdom says, finds life and receives favor from the Lord. Who does that sound like? Obviously, Jesus, right? So wisdom is personified in Proverbs 
as someone who that if you find that someone, you will have favor with God. And that someone was with God from the very beginning. Again, this kind of gives me some goosebumps. It's Jesus. So the big idea is this. True wisdom is not an esoteric, intellectual, theological, or philosophical understanding of things. Wisdom is revelation. Isn't it? Wisdom is revelation. Oh, I get it. It's not, oh, I figured it out. Oh, I, I've been, it's been revealed. <gasps> My eyes have been opened. It's revelation, and it is God revealed to us. Oh, let, me, let me use one more verse. I pray, Paul says to the Ephesians, that the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom. There's a, there's a personification again. And of revelation in the knowledge of Christ, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. You see all that again? But Christ is the power of God personified and the wisdom of God personified. You want power? It's a person. His name is Jesus. You want wisdom? It's a person. His name is Jesus. And the only way you could ever have wisdom is if Jesus, in his power, opened your eyes. And you know this when you have friends who can't open their eyes. You're like, don't you see? Jesus died for you. Don't you see? Don't you see? And they can't see it because God's power hasn't enacted into their life yet so that it's revealed to them. Oh, and isn't it also true that once it becomes revealed to you, no one can talk you out of that. Am I right? Once it's revealed to you, God's power is, is what gives you wisdom. Once God's power reveals the awesomeness of the gospel to you, someone can say, it's foolishness, and you can say, I know, and it's awesome. That's why it's so awesome, and nothing can shake you. And that's why you can say there are two kinds of people in the world. There are people who get it, because it's been revealed to them, and they love Jesus, and, they, and, they're, and they're walking in faith, not by sight. And then there are other people who just haven't figured it out yet, but they're still trying. Good. Then the last verse, verse 30, Paul says, And because of him, because of Jesus, you who are in Christ, Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, Jesus became for us wisdom and righteousness, we are, we, we are made right, we are made holy, and sanctification, we are in a process of becoming like him, and redemption, we've been saved. Not only did we get it, but we've been given sanctification, we've been given righteousness, and we've been redeemed. All of that is good stuff, and it's all because of Jesus, amen? So that just as it is written, let no one boast except for him who boasts in the Lord. All we can boast in the Lord. It's foolishness, I know, but all I got is Jesus. In the morning when I rise, just give me Jesus. That's all I got. It's the only card I can play. And luckily for us, it's a powerful card. It's a wise card, amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, let this message become so true in our hearts that we become fools for Jesus. That we make.